Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au. Would you turn to Isaiah 6, please? Isaiah 6. Last time, we've been blessed by God as He's taken us back more than two and a half thousand years ago. We journeyed with Isaiah. We journeyed right into the throne of God. And we had a taste, a glimpse, if you like, of the breathtaking splendor, that, that glory of God. And I trust that we were awestruck as this portrait, the holiness of God began to take form in our hearts. Our God is not a God who just roams, you know, roaming in the sky. No, he is a God who rules in the sky. He does what he pleases with the sons of men. Job said in Job 42 verse 2, I know that you can do all things and that the no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles 20 verse 6, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand, so that no one can stand against you. Our God is not a God who gets thrown to the back seat. He's a holy God who holds the steering wheel and the wheels and the bonnet and the boot and the entirety of the vehicle of your life, my life, and even the life of his own enemies in his hand. I taught this um, passage as a series of messages long time ago, as a, um, years back to a group of people, and they, they asked me, why did I choose this passage in particular? My response, still the same today as it was last, last time when I was asked this question. I have a campaign against the coldness that I see in my own heart. And my agenda is to crusade against this apathy that I see from time to time creeping into my life. You know what I mean by apathy, right? This shallow worship, to only serve out of duty, this self-righteous mechanic where one would attend the church on Sunday morning, check, goes to Bible study, midweek Bible study, check, downloads and listens to sermons, check, 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 without any fervent love or joy in his heart in what he does. And we don't want to sell the holiness of God too cheap, right? We must allow the holiness of God that we encounter to take effect in our lives. So my heart desire today is for you, brothers and sisters, to invite you to join me in this campaign against any coldness that you would see in your heart. I know of no other medicine, no other pill to swallow that is able to cure this chronic disease of apathy except to that of encountering a holy God. 
This is why I began to meditate in this passage before us, and I pray that through the preaching of God's word today, that God would turn our slumber into hunger and to replace any coldness with some hot passion for God. So the title for this message today is Encountering a Holy God, Part 2. Last time we looked, as um, Pastor Benoit said, from verse 1 to verse 4, Uh, What we'll do today is I want to read the entire passage from 1 to 8, but we'll focus in the last verses from 5 to 8. So let's read together verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Verse 5. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Well, last time we beheld this Lord through the eyes of the angels. And there was loud praise. There was thrill. There was joy. This time we want to look upon the Lord through the eyes of Isaiah. The outline for today's message is simple. Number one, amazing depravity. Two, amazing grace. Three, amazing response. How did Isaiah respond when he encountered a holy God? Amazing depravity. We start from verse 5. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined. So the angels in one hand are saying, wow, God. And Isaiah here is saying, woe is me. Cursed is me. Shame on me. Why, Isaiah? He says, for I am ruined. I'm coming apart. I'm disintegrating from inside. I'm crumbling from inside out. My burden is weighing heavily upon my shoulders. It is only a matter of time where I'll be crushed under the weight of my guilt. Why? He says, Because I'm a man of unclean lips. What does he mean by that? 
Well, it doesn't mean that somehow there's some dirt all over his face. It doesn't mean that he perhaps went and he ate Subway and there is sauce all over his face. And he said, look at me, I'm, you know, how can I behold God and I've got some dirt in my face? No, he's not saying that. Of course he's not. What's he saying? He's saying, every word I spoke is filthy. Everything comes out of my lips. My mouth is a fountain of corruption. That's what he's saying. How do we know that? Look what he says. I live among people of unclean lips. What Isaiah is doing here is that he's identifying his, his moral corruption. He's bringing down his self Right or unrighteousness to the same level of the people of Israel. He's saying, I'm just like the people around me. I have unclean lips just like they have unclean lips. Well, what is it? What is it about the people of Israel at that time? I believe if we can find out the condition of these people of um, God, the Israelites, at the time of Isaiah, we will know his assessment of himself, what it's really like. Well, Isaiah in chapter 1, he already told us what these people were like. So I want to read to you, starting from verse 4 in chapter 1. And God is saying here through the mouth of Isaiah, Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, Sons who act corruptly, they have abandoned Yahweh. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from Him. Please note their actions. They're evildoers, they're corrupt, they're abandoned Yahweh. They despise the Holy One. They turned away. God is sharply rebuking these people. And He's saying through the mouth of Isaiah, these people are so corrupt How come? They turned their backs on me. They're forsaking me. They walked off and they never looked back on me. And then God would then move again in verse 5 and he just lifts off the bonnet of their evil, wicked activities and he wants to check the engine of their own heart. And he says in verse 5, the whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is nothing sound in it. Only bruises, welts and raw wounds, not pressed out or bandaged, nor softened with oil. Meaning their hearts were full of rottenness because of sin. The, filth of, the filthy odor of greed. Lustful desires, selfishness can be smelled miles away. Meaning there were truckload of moral corruptions in their hearts. That's, that was their inner condition. From the very depth of their hearts, they were vile sinners. And now Isaiah says, I'm just like these people. My weaknesses and my flaws are before my own eyes. The smell of my own depravity is filling my nostrils. I hate the very selfishness that is running through my veins. I'm doomed. It's over. 
Why? I see the brokenness of my own heart. I, I can't pretend to be a righteous person any longer. Now, if we, if we asked Isaiah, Isaiah, what, what made you feel that way towards your sin? Why is it that you see your sin so vile, so revolting? He continues on and he tells us the answer. Read with me in Isaiah 6. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What Isaiah is saying here is that you cannot gaze upon the glory of God, the holiness of God, and not yet see the, your spiritual bankruptcy. You cannot have the glory of God glaring at your eyeballs and not drop dead to the ground. This, this is what happens every time someone comes face to face and encounters a holy God. Paul, on his way to Damascus, what did he do? He fell to the ground. Ezekiel in 128, Ezekiel 128, it says he fell to his face. Even John the beloved apostle, whom Jesus loved. John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Asis Prol, in his famous book, Holiness, he describes Isaiah at that point, and he says this, and I quote, every nerve fiber in Isaiah's body was trembling. He was looking for a place to hide. Praying that somehow the earth would cover him or the roof of the temple would fall upon him. Anything to get him out from under the holy gaze of God. But there was nowhere to hide. He was naked and alone before God. So Isaiah now is mourning over his spiritual condition. Is this us? In a lot of God's holiness, do we see the wretchedness of our sin? Do we mourn and weep over the cravings and the lustful desires? If I would ask, when was the last time you locked yourself in a room, got on your knees beside your bed and cried to God to change you, begging Him to make you clean? Brothers, how easy is it? Let's be honest. How easy is it to see the faults of other people, to be cynical and to be critical, and we forget to look at our own selves? Not so with Isaiah. Why? He's just encountered a holy God. And you know what happens when a man encounters a holy God? This is what happens. You know this blanket of self-righteousness that covers our lust of the flesh and makes us feel more righteous than we really are? You know when we go around walking, thinking that we're totally fine? Well, when you're in the presence of this holy God, He pulls this blanket off of you. This false sense of Godliness just gets burnt into ashes. This is what the holiness of God does. It burns our self-glory. It reduces it to amber. 
the infinitely holy God rips the fake mask off our faces. It's like he hands us a mirror and he commands us to look. And then you look and what do you see? You have no choice but to see your wretched, miserable self as it really is. Every small sin is magnified. And every lustful desire you realize is a direct violation against this holy God. And then you begin to loathe yourself because of what you see. Job 45 verse 5. Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The first thing that you recognize when you encounter a holy God is how vile and revolting your sins are. And in a single moment, all of your self-esteem would be shattered. Do we sense how revolting our sins are like, like Isaiah? Do we have a broken and contrite heart like David? Do we groan and agonize inwardly like Paul, like Paul did? Remember in Romans 7 verse 24? Remember when Paul said, Oh wretched man that I am! Who will set me free from the body of this death? You know, when a a, a Christian somehow believes that he mastered all of his struggles, and then you ask him, how you going, brother? And then he says, oh, I'm doing totally fine. I'm, I'm totally okay. I'm good. Do you know what it really means? It doesn't mean that he's good. You know what it means? It means this, that it's been such a long time since he's been in the presence of a holy God. And if this is you, I have one thing I lovingly urge you to do. Make every effort to be in that presence of a holy God. You say, oh, well, that's so uncomfortable. That's true. But that's the only way that God will kill our apathy. And replace it with revival in our hearts. What we have to be honest with ourselves, brothers and sisters. We must go back to the time that we first came to God. You remember that time when you were first born again? How you felt towards your sins? You know, when every sin that you committed threw you in the dust before a holy God. We need to reclaim this back. Let me lovingly be forthright with you. If you're not broken over your sin, I want to humbly say to you, you're a prideful man. And the scripture says, God resists the proud, but oh, the beauty, oh, the blessing of having a broken heart before a holy God. Oh, the beauty of knowing our ugliness. Does it not say in the scripture that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and that he saves those who are crushed in the spirit? Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted 
and binds up their wounds. You know, I didn't know this, but as I was reading the scripture, I realized that God is, has got two addresses. He's got two home addresses. And I found that in Isaiah 57, verse 15. It says, For thus is the, the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. And then he says, that's the first address. Pay attention. I dwell on a high and holy place. That's true. We all know that God, that's where God lives. High and holy place, right in heaven. But then he says the second address. And he says, also with the contrite and lowly of spirit. Why? In order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. You see? To be revived. You've got to have a broken heart. And to have a broken heart, you've got to be in the presence of a holy God. Well, back to Isaiah. In that brief moment, in this second, he was exposed to the absolute standards of God. And he felt naked. His sense of integrity just collapsed before his eyes. And here you have the angels, they're singing. And Isaiah is weeping. The angels are praising God. And Isaiah is condemning himself. The angels are rejoicing. And Isaiah is weeping. And now this prophet prophet is in a desperate need for atonement. Now, if you enter the mind of Isaiah, you can just simply imagine the thoughts that will be in his mind. Surely, in that moment, you would be saying, how can I call myself a prophet of God, yet he's infinitely righteous and I am not? How can I speak of him or serve him and I'm broken inside? You know what Isaiah needs? He needs his sin debt to be cancelled. He needs God's grace. So we come to the second point. Amazing grace. And we read in verse 6. And it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongues. Verse 7, He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. And your sin is forgiven. The holy God used one of his angels and reached out to Isaiah. God removed his guilt. He's taking away his sin. So beautiful. Now my question then is, on what basis did God remove Isaiah's guilt? On what basis? Is it... By Isaiah's effort. Is it because Isaiah is worthy for God to remove his guilt? Is it that Isaiah promised that he will do good works? Is it because somehow Isaiah is humble? And on the ground of Isaiah's humility that God cancelled his debt? No. No. Isaiah even tells us later on in that same book in Isaiah 46, sorry, 64, verse 6, 
He says, for all of us have become like one who's unclean. All of us are like Isaiah. And then he says, all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. All of our good deeds, actions, thoughts, words, anything in and of ourselves are like filthy garment. How do you feel if someone offered you a filthy garment, filthy piece of cloth, and said to you, Sir, on this basis, accept me? Imagine if a husband would have a really bad fight with his wife. He rebuked her. He slandered her. He insulted her. And then when he came to his senses, he thought, I need to go back and reconcile with my wife. Imagine... What would happen if on his way he would pick up filthy cloth dripping with rotten milk and then he would come to his wife and would say, Honey, on the basis of this piece of cloth, surely you'll accept me back. Don't do it. It's crazy, right? It's crazy. And in the same way, if Isaiah added all his prayers, Reading the Bible, doing good works, even his weeping over his guilt and wrapped them all up and then offered them to God as sin offering so God would remove his guilt away from him. God would say, how dare you? Filthy rag, how dare you? On what basis did God forgive Isaiah's sin? Well, Isaiah prophesied that this living king, this preeminent one, is to carry his sins. Isaiah went to the future and he found the reason why that God forgave his sins. And we read that in Isaiah 53 verse 5. And he says, But he, that's the Lord of hosts, the high and lofty one, the exalted one. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And verse 10 of Isaiah 53 says, But Yahweh was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering. This high and lofty Lord, he came down in the form of a man. He's become the sin bearer for all those that will put their trust in him. And then he was crushed. Remember when Isaiah said, I'm ruined? Well, this king, when he has come down in the form of a man, he was made to be ruined by God the Father as Isaiah substitute. And if there are unbelievers in this room, if anyone has not placed his trust in this great Savior and sitting within his four walls, I want to tell you that this God who forgave Isaiah has the power to forgive you. This mighty Savior is able to carry your guilt, atone for you. Put your trust in him. Believe this to be true. Brothers, sisters, those of us 
who already been redeemed? Do you still enjoy and delight yourself in His truth? Do you drink from His mountain, fountain? Do you look upon the bleeding Lamb of God to find strength and joy and even freedom to serve Him? This is not something that happened in the past and you walk away. This is something that ought to be in the very heart of every believer. And it really doesn't matter how old you are or when you were born again, even if you were born since the time of Noah's flood. It doesn't matter. This truth of this dying king must still move our hearts with awe, brothers. What a beautiful picture we see here. And you see this wonderful contrast between Isaiah and God. Isaiah in one hand is agonizing over his wickedness. God showers him with his goodness. Isaiah, he senses the coldness of his heart and then God comes with kindles and kindles a flame with a hot coal. Isaiah would look down at his own fallenness. Yet God lifts him up. You too, friend. If you've been listening to this message this morning, you come to Jesus with the rope of your own execution around your neck because of your guilt and God will replace it with a golden chain of forgiveness. He will accept you. You come to Christ with your hands cuffed because of your sin and Christ would uncuff you. Naked and destitute because of your shame. And God will bring the robe of His righteousness and would cover your shame. Friends, this is what it means. The grace of God. This is what the grace of God does. It turns you from a helpless sinner and makes out of you a holy saint. It accepts you as bad as you are. All at the expense of the one who's enthroned. He bled and died on that tree that we call a cross. This is the grace of God. The unfathomable grace, the amazing grace. Now, how do we describe the grace of God? How do we do that? Well, you know, some teachers say uh, when God gives you what you don't deserve, it sounds clever, short, concise, beautiful but I just believe it doesn't do much justice to the grace of God that we see in the scripture, by the way, brothers and sisters. You know, um, we we say, all right, you know, uh, works is that when you work hard and then you get paid for it, we call that works. Uh, But grace is that when you don't work and yet you get paid for it and we call that grace. Well, it's kind of true because that's where we get the, you know, uh, the grace of God is when God gives you what you don't deserve. But much closer to the grace of God, it will be like this. It will be like this. You're too lazy, so you don't work. Yet you still get paid. But then you, you hate your job, you hate your employer, you hate the company, so you go and you burn it down to the rubble. And yet your employer still pays you. And in your own rebellion and the stubbornness of your own heart, The police captures you, throws you into the jail. 
and the employer pays your fine. Not with his money, but with the life of his son. Then he changes your heart. And when you cry out to him in a moment, he lifts you up. He brings you into his kingdom. He adopts you as his own son. And in in your new heart, he makes it his abiding home. Then he tells you, you're now and forever mine. And he who touches you, touches the apple of my eyes. Then he continues to nourish you, sustaining you, lavishing you with his goodness. And brothers, even when you ponder upon these things, you still have not yet scratched the surface of the extent of the grace of God that God showers us with. How amazing is this grace of God? So, When you encounter a holy God, first, He will remove the scales of your eyes and you will see your own wickedness, amazing depravity. And when you come to the end of yourself, then He will bathe you in His grace in the person of Jesus Christ. That is amazing grace. Amazing grace. God's grace is so amazing. Do you know why? Because we worship an amazing God, an awesome God. Yes, our God is almighty God. He is fearful God before whom we must tremble. But yet, He's also a kind, merciful God, a loving God. Now, how do you respond to this amazing grace? If you would ask Isaiah, He will tell you there's only one way. And it's an amazing response. We'll come to the amazing response now. Verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Whom shall I send? Well, in the whole temple, there is only Seraphim and Isaiah. I mean, it's not a hard question to answer. God decreed that we'll only use flesh and blood to speak of Him in this world. So that kind of cancels out the Seraphim. Isaiah, you go for the Lord. You speak of what you've seen and heard. You testify the majestic God. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Why? Why is God putting Isaiah's commission in in a question form? You know why? It's like God is saying, All right, everyone, I want a spokesman. I want to have a spokesman. But not any spokesman. I want to have a volunteer. Those who want to serve out of gratitude. I don't want anyone to feel coerced when he comes and represents me. And in God's army, there isn't even one soldier that is coerced to do God's bidding. 
God doesn't need to twist anyone's arm to serve him. You know why? Because in this wonderful portrait that God is painting before us, he's showing us something beautiful. You know what it is that God is showing us? That when the grace of God liberates a guilty conscience, it molds this heart. The grace of God, you know, it doesn't just stop at the point of giving you pardon for your sins and then it leaves your heart in its corrupt state in such a way that God would still have to impose it on you to serve Him and you have to do it anyway even though you hate it. No. The grace of God cleanses us from inside out. It makes the will of God the very desire of our hearts. It unleashes us to do His service willingly, cheerfully. That's what the grace of God does in His people. None of God's true servants serve begrudgingly. No one ever serves the Lord feeling like the, he has to drag his feet wherever God wants him to go. And so, by God asking who will go for us, you know what he's doing? He's calling us to open our eyes, to behold the beautiful effect of his amazing grace. Has the grace of God touched our hearts, brothers and sisters? Are we enjoying the grace of God in our lives? If yes, then how are we responding to this grace? Let's see Isaiah's response. Let's see. Isaiah says, says here, Then I said, Here am I, send me. Now I want to look at um, it's, a, it's a short sentence, but I want to look at three observations and how the grace of God affected Isaiah's response and so should, should it affect everyone's response. Here am I, send me. Three responses. I want to finish with three different observations. First, eagerness to serve. Please note, he didn't say, here I am. As, as though God is looking for Isaiah among all these angels. Where is Isaiah? Where are you, Isaiah? And Isaiah wants to say to God, well, I'm here, God, and I just want to give you my GPS coordinates. I'm here, God, I'm over here. No. He says, here am I. Isaiah here is wanting to step out of the crowd. He's eager to put his neck on the line. Here am I. I'm not going to let this opportunity pass by me. And you can just imagine, among all these mighty angels with their great wings flapping, here is little Isaiah, so excited. He's putting his hands up, that little hands up in the air, and this little Isaiah is jumping, and he's calling out to the Lord and saying, Here am I. Pick me. I'm your man. Once his sins are forgiven, he's saying to God, God, if you're going to choose someone, choose me. How come? Why is he saying that? 
What happened? I mean, wasn't he the same man that just a minute ago was weeping and crying out, woe is me, I'm guilty, I'm guilty? Yes, but that's exactly the power of the gospel does in a believer's life. Brothers, sisters, be of good cheer. Your sins that were condemning you, the guilt and the shame that were haunting your memory and incarcerating and paralyzing your heart from serving the Lord. Christ carried them all far away to the cross and they, there they were banished. The justice of God has been satisfied by Christ and now the Bible says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Feeling guilty or not must never chain our hearts from being eager to serve the Lord. Why? You may want to feel guilty as much as you like, but feeling guilty will never change reality. And the reality is this. Christ bore all of your sins once and for all. And He freed you to serve Him without worrying about your guilt. Do you believe this truth? How do you apply this truth? When the devil whispers in your ears, saying to you, take a look at yourself. How can you serve God and you're such a, such a terrible sinner? And he begins to remind you of your sins. And he says to you, oh, look, 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 you're not worthy. You can say to him, well, yeah, no, I'm not worthy. But Jesus' blood speaks for me. Yes, I'm a sinner. But in Christ, I'm a perfectly forgiven sinner. And when I serve my master, it is not because of my worthiness, but because of how worthy he is. And his grace set me free. It released me to serve him, to serve my king. And so for this reason, Isaiah was over the moon. He's overwhelmed by the grace of God. Once his guilt was removed, his heart is filled with gratitude. His heart started dancing with joy to serve the living king for the rest of his life. That's the first observation. Let's have a look at the second observation. Again, in the same phrase here, we're not going to move away. Second observation, reliance in serving. Reliance in serving. Isaiah says, here am I, send somebody else. Right? That's not what it says. Well, here am I, send one of these mighty angels. No. Doesn't say that. It, is, it doesn't say, here am I, but Lord, you just heard me saying, woe is me, let me just calibrate, let me just uh, wait for a few years for me to grow in holiness and giftedness and maybe you train a little bit more and then you can use me. No. How come? Has Isaiah already forgotten how weak he was? No. You see, 
When Isaiah was exposed to the grandeur of God, he learned that God is too powerful that he can use the weakest of the weak and still get the same job done. You see, for God to whether use Isaiah or the seraphim, it's all irrelevant for God. It doesn't matter for God. God does what he pleases and he does it with ease. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. You see, let's, let's understand this. Almost done. Almost done. So just pay attention to this. You see, God's agenda is to reveal his glory. Amen? That's true. That's a fact. God's agenda is to reveal his glory. And God's glory will, div- will be displayed all the more when he uses the weak Isaiah, the broken Isaiah, than if he used mighty angels. Are you weak, brothers, sisters? Are you timid? Be encouraged. Our God is so great that he's not afraid to use even the weakest of us and still get that same job done. History tells us of this. Remember when God used Moses? When did God use Moses? When he was young and strong in the Pharaoh's palace or when he was 80 years old in a desert somewhere? And at Gideon's time, why did God reduce the army of Israel from 32,000 to only 300? Jeremiah was a fearful young man. Timothy was timid. Gideon was full of doubt. Moses was a cowed murderer who couldn't speak properly. David was a kid who couldn't hold a sword. And even Peter the Apostle was thick-headed. Right? All these people had one thing in common. It wasn't eloquence of speech. It was their reliance on God. They trusted in the power of God can do anything possible. So put it this way. And we'll move into the final observation. I promise you. But just put it this way, right? If God used his mighty angels and then he began to proclaim the gospel, right? And then people got saved. There is glory of God that will be displayed, right? There will be a glory of God to a degree that will be displayed. But think about this. To only use broken, foolish people like you and I and still have the elect save, now there is a testimony of how powerful and glorious God is. True? Amen? Rely in God's power in your service. Final observation. Serving the king is our gain. It was Isaiah's gain and our gain. So we look back at that phrase. Here am I. Send me, but. What's the salary like, God? Hmm? 
What's in it for me? God sent me, but w- 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 tell me, what am I, I going to get out of this? Where am I going to go? Who am I going to speak to? How long am I going to go for? How long are you going to send me for? None of that. Basically, Isaiah signed a blank check in his whole life. He didn't try to bargain with God. He didn't negotiate terms and conditions. God asked, Isaiah answered. God commissioned and Isaiah committed his life. And it was unconditional response. That's what makes it an amazing response. How come? You see, serving the king of glory brings us joy. Unfathomable joy. Isaiah would have looked at the seraphim as they were ministering and serving God. And he must have thought, well, how was serving God panning out for them? Great. They were overthrilled with the Lord. They were delighting in the Lord. And they couldn't keep it in. And Isaiah wanted to have a piece of this pie. And it was such a privilege for Isaiah to speak of the one who saved him. You see, it wasn't like this. It wasn't like God is saying, you know, I'm kind of growing old. I'm beginning to have sore back. No one is really listening to me anymore. And then Isaiah kind of felt sorry for the Lord, you know, sitting in the throne for a long time. He must have a sore back. Yeah, sure, absolutely, God. Let me help you out. I'll give you a hand. No. No. It was like this mighty king who's able to save to the uttermost, even the most stubborn heart, with or without Isaiah. And in his kindness, in his mercy, would say, would you like to be used by me? Would you like to experience this supernatural blessing, this unspeakable delight that comes out of ministering to me? Isaiah wants to have this slice of this cake and he believes there will be so much pleasure in God in giving his life away for this king. It's like the heart of Isaiah is saying, it will be such an honor for me, my Lord, to represent you. God, let me be a candlestick that burns so to shine forth the light of the gospel that saved me. God. Would you please fill me, consume me, stretch me, use me, work through me. I'll do anything to serve you. I don't want to live for anything else but for your glory alone. And it would be honor for us, such an honor for us to represent this king. Double the honor. If we're rejected for the king. And brothers and sisters, it will be a triple honor if we are imprisoned or even die for this king. Brothers and sisters, God is not in need of us to help him in any way. No, he just wants us to sit with him in his golden chariot, if you like, and experience this abundant joy in him that comes out of ministering to Him. May God bring you all 
into his presence and keep you there until you see how amazing your depravity is and then you will cry out for mercy. And then may God soak you in his free, abundant grace until you even say to him, God, enough, no more. This grace is too much for us. We we can't handle it anymore. God, your grace is an amazing grace. And as a result, you then would trample upon your apathy and throw yourself at the feet of this king and give him your life away. Even to be set on fire as a torch that shines forth the gospel in your homes, in your streets, and wherever you go. Let's pray. Lord God, We have this holy jealousy, Lord, holy envy to see this prophet, Isaiah, who has unclean lips, just like we do, yet been thrown into your presence, mourning over his sin. And because of your son, And the redemption, this eternal redemption that has been applied unto Isaiah, he bounced again as Lazarus, who was once a dead man, then he came to life. Isaiah bounced up and started serving joyfully, relentlessly, wholeheartedly, Would you, Lord, do the same in our lives? Would you, Lord, compel us to really want to come back and be in your presence and take that veil off our eyes to behold who you are, mighty as you are, glorious you are, Lord. Even if it means that we begin to be broken over our sin and mourn and weep and wail while the world is dancing. Would you, Lord, lead us out of our tomb of misery into a life, resurrection, that we would live a life fearlessly, rejoicing over your son, Jesus, wanting to throw our lives away even if we're incarcerated into prisons like Paul did and other mighty men of God did, even Isaiah did, and that we would wholeheartedly serve you, Lord, until we see you face to face. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.